0: Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a relational God, that uh, you speak to us, that we can hear you through your word. Uh, Father, thank you now for this time we have to uh, open up the Bible, and uh, we pray that as we are reading through your word that you would be softening our hearts, that you would be growing us in our uh, knowledge and understanding of who you are as our God, Lord, that we may uh, learn uh, more about what it is that you've done for us through your Son, Jesus. Amen. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you Will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to Him who sent me. None of you asks me, Where are you going? He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, In a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this so he said to them are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more and then after a little while you will see me very truly I tell you you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices you will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because their time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language. It will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you'll be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, good morning.
1: Wonderful to be with you again, and uh, I'm really looking forward to spending a little bit of time with you over the next few weeks, uh, we've, um, we've, we're going to put the j- John back into the sermons, and I've rejigged the order a little bit so that we can sort of lead up to Easter. Uh, today we dive into chapter 16, and uh, it's wonderful to be able to look at these amazing verses. Uh, you'll also see what a wonderful sermon outline I've given you this morning. Uh, so I can, I can fill in the detail for you now. Uh, the sermon's called Real Danger and Real Help. Uh, Point one is real danger, and point two is real help. Okay, there you've got it. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, please speak to us now, as you promise you will, and give us what we need for life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those last verses that just popped up on the screen, uh, you may have seen Jesus today gives us a word of prophecy. In this world, you will have trouble. Trouble. An interesting way of galvanizing support, eh? I don't know how you feel about this prediction, but experience does seem to validate it, don't you think? I have friends who bear a double portion of pain, including Christian friends, untimely bereavements, natural disasters, All the sorts of things that God could surely stop if he wanted to. Do you ever wonder why God's so-called supporters, you know, we seem to get the same kind of deal in terms of trouble as the rest of the world. In fact, sometimes Christians suffer more than the rest of the world. Have you ever looked up information about the persecuted church around the world? Christians excluded, discriminated against, beaten sometimes, imprisoned even executed for their faith. You've heard of Barnabas Fund and Open Doors. They're two organizations that can keep us informed about the suffering of Christians for their faith so that we can pray for them. But here's the question, what do we pray? Presumably, God could just as easily excuse them from suffering in the first place. You know, Jesus could have said, in this world, you will have a smooth run. Lord, please fulfill Jesus' great promise that the persecuted church would have a smooth run. But no, he says, you'll have trouble. Are we asking him, when we pray for people, are we asking him to change his mind about Christian hardship and trouble? What are we supposed to be asking for? The passage we come to this morning is, is part of the record of the conversation that has been taking place on the night before Jesus himself, Jesus himself will encounter unthinkable trouble. He will be falsely accused before both the religious court and the civil court and then brutally executed the next day. He knows it's imminent. His disciples have a bunch of vague ideas but are confused. And so this conversation in John 13 through to 17 is filling in the detail. And as the conversation is developing, it's clear that there is a sense of grief emerging for the disciples they just don't get what Jesus is telling them they are so on board with Jesus mission you know they've seen his miraculous power that only God could have divinely enabled he's healed sick people he's raised the dead he's calmed the storm by this stage there is no doubt in their mind who this man is he is the descendant of David he would be Israel's eternal king He would be their Christ, their Messiah, same word. He would boot out the Romans, probably this weekend, with his divine invincibility, and they just can't wait to see it happen. And he would establish the shalom of God, the peace of God, which they were all longing for. They are on board, and they're all on the way of Jerusalem to make it happen. And now Jesus is talking about going away. And they don't get it. It's kind of, you know, deflating for them. Where are you going, they ask? Jerusalem, right? You're not making sense to us, Jesus. This is not a time for some kind of personal prayer retreat or whatever it is that you, wherever you're going. When you say you're leaving us, we're not just going to miss you, although we will, we're going to be wondering whatever happened to the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We thought it was right now. Did this all just come to nothing? That would be deeply devastating for them. Hopes built sky high, only to be shipwrecked at the bottom of the ocean. And yet Jesus says repeatedly here, do not let your hearts be troubled. Yeah, well, what else are we going to be feeling if this whole thing evaporates? Jesus isn't finished, of course, unsettling the apple cart for them in order to help them find the truth. At the end of chapter 15, we, 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 oh no, just before the section we just read, he said, verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Hates you. And now we get to chapter 16, and Jesus spells out the implications of this a little bit. Verse 2 says, They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. What? What has this got to do with Jesus' messianic triumph? You know, now it's not just... It's not just grief, it's persecution that's on the cards. And can you believe it? Executions by religious people, thinking they're doing the right thing for God. What a horror to think that this brutal persecution might come from those claiming to be God's people. So grief and persecution, what is Jesus, what is, why is he telling them this? Is this supposed to be some kind of encouraging message? And how exactly is it going to be encouraging? That's a question that relates to our own lives as well, isn't it? If we face trouble in the form of grief or persecution, how are we to be strengthened? Does this passage encourage us this morning? Well, yes. I sometimes think though, we're looking for help in the wrong places. I've got two points this morning. I've already given given them to you. The first will be quite short. The second will have two sub-points. So point one, real danger. What is the real danger for Christians? Is it sickness sadness is it a sense of weakness is it disability is it poverty is it death what do you think the real danger is for Christian ministers is it the same list sickness, sadness, weakness, disability poverty, death nobody wants those things and there's nothing wrong with praying against them But I think Jesus has in mind a more serious danger or risk for his disciples, both then and now, that he is trying to address. Chapter 16, verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. A few chapters ago, back in chapter 13, Peter has already declared boldly that that ain't happening, Jesus. I ain't falling away. Lord, why can't I follow you now? This is chapter 13, verse 37. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. He's not falling away, right? Jesus answered him, will you really lay down your life for me? There's an irony there, isn't there? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. You're going to disown me three times. You're going to fall away three times before it's even tomorrow. No, falling away is a real danger for them. And the biggest danger for us is the same. Apostasy, walking away from Christ, giving up on Jesus. Now, it might, be, it might be dramatic or it might be adrift. Maybe it's pressure or maybe it's fear. There are all sorts of things that can work on us. You know, I've often wondered for many years, I've often wondered, you know, what would, what would I do? If there was a knife at my throat and someone said, you know, will you confess Jesus now, Mark? I mean, you know, there's a natural fear and the fear that I might give give up on him (laughs) under those circumstances. I don't know if you feel the same. Well, what is Jesus' plan for our very real weakness that we might go soft? His plan is, point two, real help. And he's talking about the spirit again. The spirit is our real help. Referred to here as the advocate. Whom Jesus would send them from the father. The spirit of God in us is the help of God for us. And the interesting thing is verse 7. It is for your good, Jesus says, that I am going away unless I go away the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It seems like the gift of the Spirit to the disciples is precisely what they need. But in order for the Spirit to come, Jesus needs to leave. Now what's going on here? Is it as if there's some kind of eternal spat between these two people and they can't be in the same place at the same time, the Spirit and the Son? Of course not. It's that they each have a job to do. They each have a role to work in. It's just that they will do that role in different places. So Jesus, after this time, after this big weekend, he will have a role in the presence of the Father. Now, we call that heaven. Uh, We don't know where heaven is. It's hard to work out what, what it actually means cosmologically. But theologically, heaven is the presence of the Father. And that is where Jesus is going after this. And that is where he is going to be our advocate in the presence of the Father. And the Spirit is also going to have a role, but his role will be in the presence of the church and the world. When we first encountered this, probably probably about five or six weeks ago now, I think, probably, in chapter 14, Jesus, when he talked about the Spirit, he called him another advocate, in addition to himself. His advocating role will be on earth. Now, what is an advocate? It's a legal term, like an attorney. But more than that, a permanent, loyal, loving spokesperson. That's what we're going to need when the pressure is on. Verse 8 says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. So the Spirit will have a job here on earth to speak out, to convict the world like a prosecutor. And Jesus mentions three particular aspects of what the Spirit would convict the world on. and that there was the sin and the righteousness and the judgment. So sin, what he's going to convict the world about is that at the very essence, the very essence of our rebellion against God is to not believe Jesus. That's what the Spirit will convict the world about. Secondly, about righteousness. That Jesus, go, if him going to the Father is the only possible way for human beings to access righteousness. You want to be righteous, Jesus has to go to the Father because he's got to plead your case before the Father. Sin is not about being naughty Sin is about not believing Jesus. Righteousness is not about all the good things that we think we've done. It's about Jesus standing before the Father and saying, they are with me. And thirdly, the Spirit is going to convict the world about judgment, that the prince of this world now stands condemned. So what he's done is he's taking, he's taking the, the disciples out of the world so that they can be with him. But the one who's in charge of the world... And by association, anyone who sticks with that, they stand condemned. So I don't know if you've ever considered these to be the role of the Holy Spirit, but what is it? It's basically the Christian gospel, isn't it? It's the Christian message that he is going, and, and you know, we often think of the Christian message as, in a sense, just hope for those who need hope. But it's also a proclamation of the truth to the world about Christ. And how is it that they these are real help in the face of real danger? How will a spirit help us not to fall away? So I have two subpoints here about how we should understand the help Jesus gives us. First sub point, he's the Spirit of Truth. This is a title that Jesus Himself gives to the Spirit. The very first verse that we read. Uh, earlier 15 verse 26 in that verse Jesus says he will testify about me and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning let's not flick over those verses too quickly the truth when we talk about the truth we're not just saying you know the truth about whether you know whether the dog really did eat my homework it's, it's, not, it's not kind of whether it was a truth or it was a lie. It's talking about a very particular truth. It's talking about the truth about Jesus, what he's done, and what the big deal is, the truth, capital T truth. And Jesus is predicting here a double testimony to the truth. Imagine we're back in the courtroom again. Two testimonies, better than one, right? You have one person sort of saying, you know, I saw the dog. Eat the the homework. It was my homework I didn't do, you know. But it doesn't doesn't cut the mustard as much as if, you know, there's a note from mum that says, yeah, really, truly, you won't believe it, you know, Mrs. Smith or whatever the teacher's name is, the dog really did eat the homework. There are two testimonies. And when they corroborate, it's more reliable. But there's more to this. Jesus is laying the foundation here This sounds a bit technical, but he's laying the foundation for the authorised apostolic witness. The authorised apostolic witness. The apostles were instructed here or authorised to bear witness to what they'd seen and heard in relation to Jesus. And they're told that they'll do this in cooperation with the Holy Spirit of truth. You know, I think he's actually saying, "I want the New Testament. The Spirit is going to testify, and you're going to testify. You're going to work together, and this is how the truth about me is going to go forward." Now, what he's not saying is, "Okay, I want 27 books, and uh, Philip and Bartholomew. I've seen some of your writings. Really, not great writers, but, but you know, John, you're good. Matthew, you write well. Uh, you know, Peter, you've got good writing." And, you know, I'd like four Gospels, a book of Acts, and a bunch of letters, please. Okay, he's not not kind of shaping it out like that. But he is authorizing them to go out, and with the knowledge that the Spirit is working with them, make sure the world hears their testimony about what they've seen and heard. And their testimony would start off as spoken testimony, the oral witness, as we call it, And it would only be later on that it would be written down into Gospels and Epistles and so on. But here is the work of the Spirit of truth to testify alongside the eyewitnesses. It won't just be in the writing of the New Testament. It will also be in the way in which we come to read the New Testament, that the Spirit will carry the message of the New Testament into our hearts, that that testimony. This morning, as I, I, I drove down from Adelaide, I got into the car park, and I got out of the car, and I thought, it's really lovely to be here. I'm I'm enjoying coming down here. And I thought, my role here, this morning, I'm the teacher. And I thought, it's a bit of a, it's a funny, odd thing to say in a way. You know, we don't know each other very well yet, and and many of you are, are older and wiser than I am. I mean, what, why should I come along and think that I can be your teacher? You know? But the Spirit is your teacher. You know, I'm just the mouth. The Spirit is the one who convicts you if you feel a pull towards or against something. It's the Spirit of God who is applying the word to your hearts. And notice that his job is to point you to Jesus. The Spirit himself is wonderful and glorious and, you know, I'm intrigued by the Spirit. He is worth, worthy of our worship and adoration. And yet his role is that of a spotlight. When you go to a gig, maybe to hear a band or, a, or, a, um, or an orchestra or, or a, a musical or some, some performance... You know, you don't sort of spend all your time looking at the spotlights and thinking, I wonder what they've got. Are they, you know, are they Fresnels or a bit of tech- technical language there? You, you don't care really about the, um, about the spotlights and so on. I mean, I'm not saying we don't care about the Spirit. What, what I'm saying though is that the Spirit's job is to point to the main act. What Jesus has done here is to be the centre of our salvation he is the act, and the Spirit wants us to look at him and to be gobsmacked by him. So how is the truth helpful to us? Well, it depends what lies at the heart of the truth, doesn't it? This isn't just the truth about whether some politician in some shadow cabinet meeting back in 2011, I don't know if you saw that this week in the news, whether whether this person said that person. This is the truth, this, this person said that or the other. This is the truth about what Jesus has done, which leads to subpoint B. The spirit of peace. The spirit of peace. In the final verse of this chapter, verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace would be nice in your struggles you've got a diagnosis in Jesus you have peace you're filled with anxiety in Jesus you have peace you speak out about your faith and you lose your job in Jesus you have peace the list goes on you know whatever your circumstance If effective peace is on offer, I want some of that, please. The source of peace that Jesus is talking about is his conquering of the world. The very thing that the disciples thought he was not going to do by leaving them. But who can overpower Christ? He's shown himself completely in control of all the elements of human life. He miraculously fed the 5,000. He calmed the storm. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He is the epitome of power and wisdom and grace and mercy. And very shortly, he will be raised from the dead for eternity. Nothing in heaven or earth can overpower him or outsmart him or undermine him as the eternal king. Your king has overcome all possible threats, all possible vulnerabilities. Are you with him, or are you going to go it alone? If you're with him, you have peace. No matter what happens to you, and he tells you that there will be troubles, if you're with him, it will work out in the end. Trust him. John's Gospel is all about God's gift of eternal life, true life which is eternal to all who believe in Christ. There is your peace. What can possibly throw you if you have that? But you wouldn't see it. You wouldn't see this. You couldn't understand this if the Spirit wasn't you know, up, in the, up there controlling the big follow spot, guiding it around the platform, So that you can see Jesus and keep remembering him and what he's done. If our real danger is falling away, losing heart, then listen to what Jesus says. Take heart. I have overcome the world. He knows what's happening the next day and two days after that. I have overcome the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It's so wonderful. So conclusion, today I'm not dealing with that um, tricky, much debated theological question of, you know, whether Christians can fall away and all that, maybe another time. But Jesus raises this issue, so we deal with it as he deals with it, and we're facing head on the reality that perseverance is not always easy, as you know, and that Jesus was aware that his disciples, both then and now, would face significant danger to their faith. That's why he sent us his Spirit. Through the Spirit, we have the truth about Christ and we have the peace of Christ through knowing that truth. You realize that because we have that Spirit, we actually have a greater knowledge of Jesus than even his disciples had. Do you realize that? Because we have the Spirit, they'd not received it yet. They're sort of flipping all over the place. They don't understand what's going on. I mean, they'd seen the miracles. We'd all like to see the miracles face to face, wouldn't we? We all admit that. Um, And they could recognize his face in a crowd. You and I probably couldn't do that. They had that great, awesome blessing. But we have the Spirit now. And they would receive the Spirit, don't get me wrong. But we have the Spirit who speaks... To us through the testimony of the apostles, and we can get it, we can understand in a way that these guys at this time sitting around this dinner uh, could not understand. We can comprehend the nature of Christ's mission. We're not depressed that Jesus was farewell that night. We are relieved beyond comprehension, right? Back to the persecuted church. I don't know if you heard about Pastor Wang Yi a Chinese pastor who was arrested back in December last year, along with 100 members of his church, the Early Rain Church. Prior to his arrest, he wrote a, a declaration to be published by his church should he be detained for more than 48 hours. Uh, he was detained for more than 48 hours and they released it and it's riveting reading about uh, you know, our role in the world in relation to human governments and so on. But towards, he says it, towards the end he says this about um, just how he sort of weighs it all up. Separate me from my wife and children. Ruin my reputation. Destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life. And no one can raise me from the dead. So what should we pray for the persecuted church? And for each other in our troubles. No more suffering. No more trouble. You know, definitely pray for each other's suffering. I don't think Jesus is saying don't do that. But there is a bigger danger that we let go of the truth and that we sort of do it on our own and we sort of say, oh, I'm not getting any help here. We should pray for God's spirit continually to remind and strengthen us in the truth and to fill us with the knowledge of Christ's peace. He has given us what we need to persevere. Let us be bold. As I pray, I'll um, I'll start with the words of the third verse that we sang in that hymn before God has spoken by his spirit, or God is speaking by his spirit. Let us pray together. God is speaking by his spirit, speaking to our hearts again in the age-long word declaring God's own message, now as then. Through the rise and fall of nations, one sure faith is standing fast. God abides, the word unchanging. God the first and God the last. Our merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture, for our Saviour Jesus, and for our Advocate Your Holy Spirit we thank you for Jesus advocating for us before you all part of your plan and we thank you for the Spirit advocating among us all part of your plan we pray for strength for ourselves for those we know who struggle and for those overseas particularly those who are persecuted for being Christian we pray for strength and boldness And perseverance, we pray that they would remember the truth, that we would remember the truth and remember your peace and have your peace in our hearts to guide us each
0: day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.